Hello, creeps. Welcome to the Horror Vanguard. I'll be your ghost. I mean host for today's exciting tale of terror. Resident Evil is a documentary. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to your brand new miniseries. Uh, this this was born of a fever dream last year, where for some imperceptible reason, we decided to cover the last of the Resident Evil franchise films first. Uh, but now we are back. It's been too long. We're glad to be back covering the Resident Evil movies in a new miniseries dedicated to uh, Paul W.S. Anderson's uh, greatest cinematic output. How are you doing, John? Uh, you know, I'm doing I'm doing really good, and and let me just say right off the bat, right? Sometimes on this show, sometimes me and you like to do something that's you know a little goofy, uh, like Darren Aronofsky's Mother. But what I think we're best at is when we tackle like uh, films which have got a rich kind of discursive and political angle to them, like uh, Die You Zombie Bastards or uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween, and I am really. <laughs> really excited to spend some time talking about maybe the greatest documentary series about neoliberal employment that I've seen in a very long time, the Resident Evil series. Yeah, 2021 is already hitting us like a truck and we're going to hit back just as hard with the <laughs> uh, with the cutting movie criticism that people from 2002 were expecting. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I will say right off the bat, um, uh, of the two of us, uh, I am I am the the junior partner when it comes to knowledge and <laughs> to esoteric knowledge about a popular video game franchise. I do not know anything about the Resident Evil games other than than the fact that there I I knew there were zombies. I knew there were zombies in them, but I know nothing else about them. So I am going into these films with no expectations, and I, I can't wait. I, on the other hand, have been punching boulders into volcanoes and mixing mysterious herbs I find on the ground in city streets uh, since I was a child. <laughs> so I, I have been uh, uh, genetically engineered by Amazon.com to discuss these films. Okay, uh, then this is going to be a great series. We, we are going to cover them all in order. Um, I'm super excited that the 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 minisodes are coming back. Um Let's let's dive in, shall we? Let's all right. Let's let's do it. So the, right off the bat, the first thing that I want to uh, uh, talk about is our wonderful Patreon supporters. I think they're the most part and part of this movie and its movie criticism. And uh, you too can join the uh, wonderful biogenetic uh, monstrosities that support this show. Little little Patreon plug that we almost forgot to do. That was thank you. That was that was very that was some slick shit right there. I just 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 pulled 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 that one out right there right there. I, I mutated at the last moment, and that one just kind of jumped out of me. Um, but no, no. I think the first thing the first thing I want to talk about. I already made a joke about it, but I want to talk about Amazon, right? Uh, because so the first Resident Evil movie this comes out in two thousand two. Um, it's it's sort of the first attempt at translating the Resident Evil uh, uh, stuff to a more cinematic format. Um, there were two, George Romero infamously uh, was drafting a script for this 
after directing a uh, Resident Evil commercial for television. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was another guy, I'm forgetting I'm forgetting the other guy's name, who uh, also uh, was working on a script, but then it falls in the hands of Paul W.S. Anderson. Um, and uh, Mila Jovovich, uh, who, what, what, like, this is, so the Resident Evil movies are metatextually a rom-com, because this a, a, is... A hundred percent a, a hundred percent. This is, this is how I want to meet my future partner, right? I want to be, you know, in, in, in production for like, you know, like, like Doom 64, the movie. And then just, oh, there's, there's the love of my life playing, playing a lead role. Wouldn't that, this is beautiful is what this is. So I, I. I, I, the, I, I did a little bit of research and I was reading over some Wikipedia articles related to Paul W.S. Anderson um, and the, the film series. And the detail which just, which just uh, endeared me, endeared me uh, to this whole series of films was the sentence in one wiki, wiki article which just said, uh, Paul W.S. Anderson met his eventual wife, Mila Jovovich, in 2000. <laughs> I, I love that the, it's... He's like he, he's clearly this was a long term kind of goal. I respect the the wife guy energy that's that's emanating from Paul W S Anderson. I, I think it's very endearing. Yeah, I know. I th- and I think the lesson here is that there are there are good wife guys and there are bad wife guys, and the good wife guys uh, create an entire movie franchise to just just for their wife at some point. Yeah, uh, Paul W S Anderson um, is really into. From this film, I assume is really into uh, hot girls in dresses who could murder him, uh, and, <laughs> and and honestly, kind of same. I mean, why not? That's a that's that's a healthy a healthy way to go about things, I think. But you were you were talking about Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Before we got swept up in love, we were talking about Amazon.com. Um, so, so the beginning narration of this film is is all about a a company that kind of took over a bunch of different sectors of the market, but secretly behind the scenes, the one thing that they were really focused on and the one thing that they were really, uh, I guess to use contemporary parlance, the one thing they were really hyped for were military industrial contracts. Mm -hmm. And in the context of Resident Evil, this is the Umbrella Corporation, right? Like Umbrella is a uh, a pharmaceutical company. They, they make home goods. They're kind of, they're, they're, they're very much, uh, mirrored after today's like massive conglomerates right those companies where it's like amazon amazon makes furniture and it also does web services for the department of defense like that is a ludicrous range and i think like watching this movie now in 2021 you know revisiting this movie in the new year like the the thing that struck me is that like i first saw this in 2002 because i'm a huge resident evil fan and it's like how how much space has collapsed between the kind of horrible stuff that Umbrella does and the horrible stuff that Amazon does? And like the the only meaningful difference here is that like Amazon isn't making mutant zombies that ravage our streets. They're just like unraveling, you know, governments across the world in order to make sure Jeff Bezos doesn't lose one of the, you know, umpteen trillion dollars he's got lying around. I mean, there are a couple of things that's re- that's, that are really important to point out here. So firstly... This is a good uh, Leninist film because it shows the tendency towards monopoly um, <laughs> as, as outlined in imperialism, the highest stage of capitalism. Um, secondly, you're completely correct about the comparison to Amazon. Um, but the implications of that are really important. 
which is that essentially where you live uh, and and kind of nationalist identification from from the point of view of capital is increasingly irrelevant. Uh, we live in a world where we have extremely regulated, militarized, dangerous borders for people and almost no borders or restrictions on capital. You know, capital can go anywhere, right? Uh, another another quick point um, is that the tendency towards monopoly is essentially an erosion of individual freedom and agency, right? You go, you, you're free. You can have whatever brand of breakfast cereal you like in the morning, but pretty much all of them are made by the same five companies. Just hidden, that fact is kind of hidden and obscured behind uh, shell corporations, subsidiary companies, uh, holding companies, Um and this is a kind of complicated thing that maybe like not not a lot of uh, people pay attention to because it's very difficult. But if you decided to boycott Amazon one day, functionally in some places in the world, that's kind of impossible to do. Because even if you go, well, I'm not going to buy anything from them, they already harvest your location data. They already have got your information from advertisers. They already provide the infrastructure for services that you kind of need and depend uh, depend upon, right? Uh, so I, I'm 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 watching this opening narration and I'm kind of like fascinated uh, by that. And there's there's one more thing in the in the narration because uh, they're talking about how Umbrella has moved into um, uh, viral weapons. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the amazing sentence phrase that they use is un- unknown to its employees. Like the majority of people who work for Umbrella don't know what the company does really uh and in a way it's kind of impossible for us to know if we work for a large corporate structure you don't really know what the company does on a kind of macro level right you this is a kind of new sort of alienation uh and it just made me think of david graber's work on on bullshit jobs Mm -hmm. uh, which which raises the really important question which is what do people who work for umbrella do all day long there are 500 people in the hive. What are they all doing down there? <laughs> I I have so many questions about that because the hive is ostensibly secret to the people of Raccoon City. Exactly. <laughs> and and these people these people don't know that they're making or, or so, some of them must know that they're making bioweapons and like I it is it is a, a baffling but it, it's also deeply real. Right. There, I think there's something that's incredibly like this is the thing that strikes me about Resident Evil uh, 2002 uh, is that it's a deeply real film for all of like the goofy action sequences and the really, really terrible CGI. <laughs> it, it has the, not aged well. <laughs> the, the liquor monster in there is unforgivable, even for 2002 standards. Um, but I mean, to counterbalance that, like Mila Jovovich did all, all but one of the stunts in the movie. Mila Jovovich does herself. Yeah, nothing but you know, nothing but props. That that kind of like three sixty running up the wall matrix spin kick was was a practical stunt that she trained for months in order to accomplish. And like the the, the I think like to to kind of track back to the CGI of this, like the dogs look great, and the dogs look great because they actually had dogs with a bunch of meat on them jumping around the set for a bit apparently so you've got the, you've got like big, a good big, visual cue the big struggle was getting the dogs to stop licking the delicious meat off them <laughs> i think isn't, isn't there i mean that's that's like a lesson for capitalist masters in the working class right like the, the the dogs already contained all of the wealth that they would produce 
Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And so it was it was the task of the filmmaker, i.e. the capitalist overclass for trying to subdue their natural urge to not work, but just enjoy the products they already have. Uh, yes, I thought I thought the dogs were. <laughs> Uh, well, 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 lots of fun. And I do like, the, I do like the idea of like getting these dogs on set and they're super excited to like be out and in company and then they get covered in delicious goo that they're supposed to not lick off themselves. Right. Um, I, I feel for them. I really do. Every, every time I see a dog in a movie, that's all I'm thinking about is like, cause, cause usually they're kind of like vicious or monstrous or, you know, like if there's a, unless it's like homeward bound, if there's a dog in the movie, it's some kind of like fighting dog but in my head i'm like this dog's name is probably like like princess jolly times and it's like the most <laughs> lovable little pup ever but but anyway like yeah like i really i really resonated with that in the movie because i think we've all had bullshit jobs but like you know like like i've i've like you know been a line cook in a chain restaurant and i've like had like so many just crap jobs and like a lot of times in the back of my head when i'm working a job like that is like I started thinking about like, okay, this job is owned by someone who who owns another company, who owns another company, and I'm part of like this nested shell game. And like, some somewhere somehow, uh, you know, making this shake is like supporting like some foreign military's like genocidal conquest or something. And that really that really grounds the umbrella experience. Yeah, I love I love the idea of like, you know, uh, beneath Raccoon City, there's this. You know, five hundred people. That's that they. You know that that makes a lot of mess. They require feeding during the day. Uh, you've got a way. You've got to find ways of getting them in and out without people paying attention. But I love, I love the idea that in in some ways it's kind of this hyper modern representation of of capitalist production. But in a way, employment at that scale uh, usually happens in uh, what we'd call kind of Fordist economies, right? You know. Mm-hmm you'd have 500 people working uh, in a car factory. You'd have 500 people in a garment factory. Um, so it's like, it's it presents itself as being very slick and very modern and very innovative. But really it's like, yeah, it's the same old alienated labor. Right, and I think one, one of the telling things that we don't see in this depiction of Umbrella is we don't see, like this 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 is a sprawling underground complex which means you have to have plumbers and electricians yep. and yep. janitorial Janitors. staff yep. cooks yep <laughs> you, you know like like we're we're missing part of the equation here and then like i i think like like this 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 feeds back into like how how we have a non understanding of, of how our economy actually works right like oh, yeah like, completely we we've disneyfied everything you know in disney you don't see janitors taking out the trash because they built an elaborate underground labyrinth that handles that for them you know but those employees are still there they just literally hid them underground <laughs> yeah i mean can you can there there are a couple of things about umbrella's structure which i find even after seeing just the first film that i'm already fascinated by uh second firstly uh, as you said it's the the absence of kind of like janitorial staff people who work in the cafeteria can you imagine going home and, and like your partner asks you what do you do all day and you go i, I can't tell you um, secondly the thing that i find really fascinating about umbrella is it's seemingly inexhaustible supply of private mercenaries and military contractors <laughs> and i i feel like that's only going to ramp up and the thing that's really interesting to me about this is that 
We know from the real world that the vast majority of private military contractors come from former soldiers. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if that's the case uh, in the universe of Resident Evil, what that means is that there's been like uh, potentially conscription has been introduced. I think that's really, <laughs> really the only way you would have enough former soldiers to all suddenly be like comfortable with MP5s and like tactical armor uh, gear running into this situation. So uh, the geopolitics of the Resident Evil world, I have a feeling we're going to come back to that as we watch future films. Oh, just just wait. <laughs> this is this is one of those roller coasters that like you you just keep ratcheting up, and then uh, they they didn't make the one where you ever got to resolve anything or come back down. <laughs> um, I, I think I think those are all like. Like, like that, that that for me is kind of like the nexus of a lot of the discussion, right? Because Umbrella is uh, an only slightly cartoonish representation of companies like Alphabet, the the parent company of Google and Amazon and Facebook, and right all these companies that on the surface they're like, you know, Am- oh Amazon is where you buy books and home goods on the web, but then like you know one layer beneath that they're this horrible military machine that's destroying huge swaths of the world. Yeah, completely. Um, and watching it, watching it now, you kind of realize that, you know, lots of people have been talking about, oh, when are we going to get like COVID uh, literature, or when are we when are we going to get the pandemic novel? When are we going to get the COVID COVID cinema? And I'm like, we got it 18 years ago. Mm-hmm. It's it's been here for a long time. Yeah, uh, much like the T virus, uh, the the COVID cinema has been in us the whole time, just kind of waiting to find find its find its way to the surface to mutate out of us and i think like you know we, we talked about this when we covered um oh god it's already escaped my mind because it wasn't that good uh the horror movie where they're all on zoom oh yeah uh uh host host host, yeah. host. <laughs> like we, we talked about this when we were talking about a host right like host doesn't actually introduce anything new for our understanding of covid right it got lauded as like a as like a, a pioneering bit of COVID cinema, but really like it was just kind of an unfriended knockoff. Oh, completely. Yeah. You know that had that had maybe one passing reference at at coronavirus and what and what that's kind of been like. But I think that in a lot of respects, like th- this Resident Evil movie gives us a more accurate picture of of a lot of the underlying systematic symptoms that kind of lead to us to to where we are today right covid um like the t-virus is what causes all the monsters in in this umbrella movie or resident evil movie and like it's caused by a, a company doing what's in its own best interest with no regard for social safety the well-being of everyone around them the world itself mm-hmm. and like you know in in america in the uk you know like our countries especially like like COVID is rampaging and and killing people at levels that we haven't experienced since the last world war. You know, it's, it's catastrophic in a way that the human mind is just not able to comprehend and it's being done to us by companies and by corporations, right? Just like resident evil lying about where the T with the T virus. And now we have to contaminate or quarantine raccoon city and just get rid of it and scrap it because they're interested in the profit motive. And like it, that should be like watching those aspects of this movie were really jarring because that's kind of what we're living through. Oh yeah, completely, completely. Um, and and it to kind of push that a little bit further. Uh, something else in this film that is is sort of 
strangely uh, timely is the degree to which a lot of the action of the plot is almost algorithmically mediated. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what happens when they first spot the virus? It's not spotted by any kind of human subject, right? It's spotted by um, uh, AI who uh, that, 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 whose protocols and procedures kick in, seal the, build, seal, seal the hive, kill everybody in there in order to try and contain the threat. And increasingly, um, health, health policy at a kind of national level is done through uh, algorithmic or AI-related methods, right? You want um, viral detection is going to become a tool of surveillance. Uh, you know, public health and public surveillance are going to become much more closely entwined, uh, as has already started to happen. And so uh, the the Red Queen, as uh, it's referred to in the film, that's another element which I think is really kind of timely. Yeah. No, I, I think I think you're you're hitting the nail on the head with this technology and how how we relate to it. Like like so so what do you think about that? What do you think about like because a, a huge chunk of this Resident Evil 2002 movie is you know that you know the Red Queen is a big scary AI that's woven into the entire world around them and that controls everything and the characters are constantly afraid of or attempting to negotiate with it. What do you make of that? I think it's super interesting, right? Because it raises the question of tool use and at what point does technology kind of move beyond utility and become something that we become almost parasitic upon because presumably the red queen in the in in the context of the hive's normal operations people don't really notice right it keeps the air circulating keeps the coffee hot keeps the lights on uh keeps the doors working and so as soon as there is a kind of break in the system, we, we become almost parasitic to that system uh, and thus become a threat that has to be eliminated. Because really, the, the, big, the kind of big bad in, in the course of the film, for, the, for a good chunk of it, if not the majority of it, is dealing with the Red Queen, right? No, you're, you're absolutely correct. And I think a lot of that has to do as well with like, what, what, who, do, who does this technology exist for? What is this technology even doing? Who's actually asking for this stuff to be made? You know, like, like what is, you know, we're, we're taught to believe that it's the consumer who is responsible for the creation of the new iPhone, right? You know, that, it, that it's our desire for new features and new technology and, and new, new design that's pushing the economy in this direction. When in actuality, it's it's the inverse of that, right? It's it's the companies who are dictating what we're doing next, and like you know, like the iPhone is a great example of this. Who is so hungry for uh, Apple Pro earbuds that get lost all the time, and you have to constantly reorder new ones, and they're hundreds of dollars a piece? And like, I'm ne- I'm never giving up headphones with cords on them. <laughs> I think I think this is a really important point, actually. And a lot of the time when we talk about this kind of thing. I think you're completely right. We tend to be far too individualistic. But really, you know, capitalist structures don't just reflect desire. They create it. Yes. And and channel it. And that is something that has to be kind of reckoned with and, and un- understood. And really, it's not like, oh, there, there is necessarily even a shadowy cabal in a room somewhere. But I'm, I'm willing to bet these films are going to argue that there is. What you- <laughs> oh, you just wait. <laughs> I'm, I've seen, <laughs> seen horror movies, but really, oh what, man, not even. 
what, what happens is you have kind of structures and systems of and incentives set in place that ensure behavior models uh, emerge in a particular pattern. You know, that's why new products emerge. It isn't because they, it, you don't even need focus grouping at, at certain points, right? You don't even mm -hmm. need to ask people directly. All you need to do is create incentives, rewards, and structures which are going to channel the behavior in the direction that you want it to go. I was going to say, and this is uh, systemic, you know, like, mm -hmm. like this is, this isn't just like, you know, if, if uh, some, some, some court convened and tried Jeff Bezos and Zuckerberg and, and dissolved their assets and split their companies, that things would get better. That's most, most certainly guaranteed. But as long as the system remains, it will reemerge, right? We're just we're reliving through a new era of robber barons right now. That, that is all that is happening is capitalism is doing the thing that capitalism does, and that's continuing to congeal power into fewer and fewer hands, yeah, right? Completely. It's it, it's building this monstrous hierarchy because that's what it's that's systemically what it's designed to do. I mean, this is why I love the fact that the kind of big plot point is they they were going to Edward Snowden the Umbrella Corporation. <laughs> <laughs> that 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 was that was the plan. Uh, yeah, M Mila uh, Jovovich's character is is kind of like an ass kicking Edward Snowden. <laughs> Ed, Ed, Edward uh, Ed, Mr. Snowden, if you're listening, uh, uh, please come on the podcast if you like horror movies. <laughs> and and we know you are Ed. <laughs> we know. You are. <laughs> um. Yeah. So I mean, that's the big plan, right? That's 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 what they think will will kind of work. But that shows a very narrow, doesn't show that kind of understanding of it as a systemic problem, right? You know, the question of mm -hmm. how do you actually bring down something which is more powerful than literally any nation on earth? Like, how do you do that? Is not one that this these, these characters seem prepared to entertain. They're like, we're going to write an expose in the New York Times and then Umbrella will fold. It's like, no, that's why they have PR departments. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do. I do like the kind of depiction of that. Right. Because you get you get Mila Jovovich's character who uh, is, is going to leak this information. You get the scientist on the inside who's your contact. Right. Uh, and then you, you have you have the other guy who is who's who's kind of the corporate stool right who's the scab who's who's there to break this effort up and i think that that's another layer of realism right because you know that 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 happens right you know you know corp corporations uh try to woo people we talked about this in our christmas carol episode right like scrooge is wooing over cratchit in order to break labor power yeah yeah absolutely so, so there was one there's one line in in this first one that i really wanted to talk about and that's uh, we, we, we get a scene in the beginning where um, a guy is being like tackled by this like secretive mercenary force and uh, his his liner is, what are you doing? I'm a cop. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, you could do this to ordinary people, but don't you know who I am? <laughs> and I think I mean, like. I didn't plan for this, but uh, yesterday there was uh, an attempted insurrection in the United States. Mm -hmm. Which is a phrase that is awfully strange to say on your horror movie podcast. <laughs> but I think there, there's connective tissue here that I think is really interesting and really strange, right? Because you have this above the law attitude from this cop in the Resident Evil movie, right? 
you know, and he and he turns out being the villain, right? He turns out being the one who just exists to instantiate corporate power and to make sure that nothing can ever challenge it. You know, and like we just we just saw police play 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 on like easy mode with people who were ransacking the Capitol building, and like you know, like I I had like uh, handcuff neuralgia in my thumb for two months <laughs> after being detained for doing a journalism. So it's like we're we're seeing what these systems exist to defend and what these systems exist to do. And oddly enough, the Resident Evil movie plays this out, right? Because the, at the top of the food pyramid of capitalism is corporate power. Yeah. I mean, wasn't it, wasn't it striking that among the people, uh, among the institutions that came out and said, you know, there has to be an orderly transition of power. Uh, one of them was like one of the biggest oil oil companies in the United States. Yeah. Fucking Chevron. Chevron come out and go, there has to be an orderly transition of power. And it's like, yeah, because if they turn off the taps, everybody's lights go out. So, so. Right. And it's and it's like, oh, it's like, OK, this this attempted coup is a bad one because it would interrupt with our profits and our margin and our offices. But, you know, other attempted coups, those are those are democracy coalition building. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it returns you to that question of like, you're you're coming up again umbrella is 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 not even a privatized nation state it is it is supranational it goes across national borders right i'm i'm it's a global corporation um so how do you unpick that as a kind of political question it's going to take a hell of a lot more than just exposing you know something that's happened in one lab in one town Absolutely. Yeah. It ha- it, it, by its own necessity, it has to be interconnected in with like, cause you know that in, in the world of Resident Evil, uh, there, there's, there's the uh, umbrella coders union that just popped up on Resident Evil Twitter, <laughs> you know, and like they're, they're working to unionize, you know, the, the, the coders at the umbrella and like, you know, the IWW is like getting all the cooks at the hive facility to revolt. Right. <laughs> There'll also be like there'll also be like other accounts that pop up, which is like, I got my first job working at the Hive Laboratory. It gives it, it's flexible enough to fit around my master's degree. There'll be loads of like cute pictures of the dogs that they've got. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they'll, they'll be like the the the, the liquor monster. We'll, we'll be we'll be like doing like the flossing dance or something. <laughs> Oh my god, Resident Evil is just Boston Dy- Umbrella Umbrella is just Boston Dynamics. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So <laughs> see, secrets are being discovered today. Um um gamers uh, uh absolutely new Resident Evil fan theories hashtag #epic. <laughs> um I have to admit I really I really uh did enjoy this first uh one and I can't wait for the others, but there is a there's just kind of one thing that we have to sort of talk about as we wrap this up mm-hmm. which which is that um paul ws anderson has many kind of strengths as a director but clearly and like deeply believes that visual storytelling is for absolute cowards and if you have a story you goddamn say it <laughs> <laughs> hey kids do you like materialism because this movie does away with all of that fancy storytelling <laughs> <laughs> It was one of those interesting parts about this movie is that the only lines of dialogue that aren't expository are people kind of screaming in pain. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I, I, there's something, there's something there, you know, that perhaps pertains to a lot of what we were discussing today, 
Um, can't quite put my finger on it though. <laughs> I, I, I love just like the stripping away of any kind of artifice, artifice of like, this is a, a, a kind of mimetic art. It's a reflection of reality in some way. And it's like, no, we, we have got the story and we are going to explain it directly to camera most of the time until you get it. And like, so, so the, well, the only other thing that I wanted to, to mention that kind of like ties into this, right, is because like, uh, so, so as many of you maybe know, there's like a very popular YouTube channel called Cinema Sins, where they just list off sins in massive quotations inside of inside of popular films. And and one of one of the biggest kind of gaffes in the Resident Evil uh, movie from 2002 is that the, the so like uh, the the main villain breaks open a vial of the T virus and then it escapes into the air and then into the ventilation system and then it, it gets all over the hive and infects everyone. Um, and, and everybody has kind of commented, including uh, the, the vapid, uh, ghoulish and amoral critics at CinemaSins, um, that like, oh, like a, a high tech lab like this would have a closed ventilation system. You know, it would be a sealed room for safety. And like, while that is technically true, you know, a, a reputable lab would have the proper mechanics in place to prevent their horrible toxins from escaping. Uh, this is Umbrella. This is a massive company. Like, if, if, you don't, if you don't think that, like, every single company on the planet is cutting as many corners as they can when it comes to workplace safety. Yeah, I can't believe that the Umbrella Corporation that literally just bought Wayland yutani would ever cut corners on health and safety. Right. <laughs> I mean... How just how naive do you have to be to go? Well, the corporation wouldn't do anything wrong, <laughs> and and that's and that's and that's a problem with a lot of like contemporary movie criticism, right? It's just taking everything at, it's taking the entire text of the film for granted and at surface value, right? It's it's not willing to engage yeah. with the fact that like a, a company that is evil enough to sell these weapons on an international scale, and mm -hmm. and to build an AI that will murder its entire uh, staff instantaneously probably didn't take too many steps to prevent these problems from happening yeah yeah completely um the 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 kind of hot take takeaway point here is uh stop listening to cinema sense <laughs> accurate Well, everyone, uh, the pandemic is still going on. Uh, the world is in an awfully strange place, but we're we're glad to be back with another mini series uh, to hopefully keep you entertained and uh, smugly self righteous in your movie criticism about video game titles from eighteen years ago. <laughs> thank you, thank you, uh, Ash. Thank you to everybody listening. It is so good to be back. Um, this is going to be a fun series. So do find us on Twitter. Do uh, find us on Patreon. And we will see you next time. Thanks for tuning in, creeps. And remember, stay spooky. Ha 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 